Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. All right, as promised, we are closing out our little mini-series here of bands whose profiles have been raised thanks to the recent success of the Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack. And this week, we are talking to Pat Vegas, co-founder of the band Redbone. Now, Pat and his brother Lolly formed the band in the late 60s down in Southern California. They were they were fully immersed, and I didn't know that until I started researching them, fully immersed in that like L.A., Laurel Canyon, Southern California, classic rock sound that's been so deified now. They were there. They were in the mix of all of this. They had a number of hits throughout the 70s. Their biggest one is this one right here, Come and Get Your Love, which reached number five in 1974. And this is the gift that keeps on giving. This song is having a resurgence now everywhere. Lolly passed away a few years ago, and Pat is still out there, you know, furthering the Redbone cause. What makes them really unique is that they were all Native Americans or Latin Americans. They're by far the most successful band with that makeup in history. And they wore those influences really proudly. They wore Indian, you know, get-ups and uh, face paint and feathers and they incorporated Native American chants and and sort of vibes into their songs. In fact, I mentioned it in here. To me, they sound like if Motown had been established on an Indian reservation. That's how classic and beautiful these melodies are. I'm telling you, if all you know about Redbone is this song, go get you a greatest hits because there is so much good stuff in there. I really like this conversation because uh, if anyone listens to the Gilbert Gottfried pod- podcast, you know how they sort of they someone comes on and it's just throwing names out there and and they just story after story after story. That is what Pat gives us in this conversation. It is great. Like I said, I had no idea how immersed they were in that in that culture. Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Cher. Uh, Aretha Franklin, you name it, all these people, Jack Nicholson, all these people come up in this conversation. I realized pretty quickly that the gold in this conversation was just to throw names at Pat and let him recall these stories. And so that's what I did. And I hope you guys enjoy it. I really loved it. The sound quality isn't as good as I would like it to be. I use this app called Tape Call and it's normally very reliable, but the last few times I've used it, this buzzing noise is kind of coming in. It's really bugging me. I'm probably not going to use it as often, but I hope you enjoy this conversation. I did. He called me from his home in Van Nuys, California. Well, for starters, um, going back to what I just mentioned a minute ago, I mean, it seems like the last few years, Come and Get Your Love and Redbone has been reborn. I mean, I don't know if it's entirely or mostly because of the Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack. You guys are in a, that song's in a, in a commercial, which I can't, I, I can't remember what the actual product is. I just know. Just I Penny. That's it. Yeah. And every time I hear the song, it's just, in and there again. How has how has your career changed just the last few years? I've been I've been a, like a, a a ride, you know. I mean, a, like a roller coaster, you know. You know, the group sort of started uh, calming down, and everything was was kind of leveled off. And uh, and all of a sudden, the movie comes out, and everything is a whole new generation of kids that are taken to Redbone and. And the calls that come in and the requests, and it's just unbelievable. Yeah. It's a blessing, you know? Yeah, I can imagine. Are you, I don't even know for sure, are you, do you go out and play live? Or uh, I have, I have, you know, I, I, every once in a while it is a, a, an important engagement somewhere where it means something, you know? Uh-huh. I don't just go out, I don't just go out and go on tour like, like I used to, you know, but if there's something that's meaningful and it means something, it'll have some effect, I'll do it, you know? Okay. How old are you now, Pat? How old am I? 76 years old. Wow, good for you, man. <laughs> Who would have ever guessed in your 70s that suddenly Redbone would have a take on a second life? That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about that for a minute. You know, but I'm 76, but let me, let me clarify. I'm 76 young. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I still got the same body, same music. movements. Yeah, it's the music. It keeps me young. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, Plus, I absolutely. take care of myself, and I, I lift weights. I exercise. I'm a member of a gym, you know, and I take care of myself. I'm still in good shape, and, you know, and, and everything. Um, uh-huh. Where do you live these days? Are you I going live in L.A.? In, yeah, I'm in Los Angeles, yeah. I live okay. in uh, 
and I live in uh, Van Nuys, California. Got it. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, for, I mean, I'll just come right out and ask. I mean, has has the hits of Redbone been able to sort of provide you with a decent living over the last forty five years? Yes, they have. Absolutely. Really? Yeah. Yeah, because you know, we first of all. We sold uh, millions of records in Europe before we even sold one in L.A., I mean, in, in the U.S. And uh, so European sales have always been up. You know, they're real loyal fans. If once they're your fans, they're your fans forever. You know, you can, no matter how old you are, I mean, you know, like, like they, they have, they have us since next to, uh, to, uh, uh, what's his name, uh, Frank Sinatra, you know. <laughs> so they, 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 when they're your fans in Europe, they're your fans forever. They're not fickle like they are mostly in the U.S., but we've got a lot of fans in the U.S. So mm-hmm. all this time, even before Come and Get Your Love and and uh, all those kinds of songs really broke big back in the day, you guys were yeah. already a really big deal in Europe. Where specifically? Yes, yes. Uh, Holland, England. Wow. We had number one record in England uh, over, uh, uh, over uh, what's his name? Uh, what's the name of the singer? <laughs> Rod Stewart. Oh. He, had Maggie, he had Maggie May and he had what's called New Orleans at once. Sugar Crazy. We knocked him so out of number one. <laughs> yeah. So I'm curious. When you, you know, back then, early 70s, mm-hmm. what's your, where's your favorite place in Europe to play? Well, my favorite place, I think it would have to be uh, Holland. Really? Why? Because the fans, they were so loyal and so, so unbelievable. There were 5,000 kids waiting at the airport for us. Really? Yeah, they probably never landed. seen anything like you guys before. Never. They had never seen an American Indian, you know, Native American. So, so when we got off the plane, it was amazing. Also, England had like three or 4,000 kids waiting to see us. And some of the girls walked up to us, and their bodies were painted completely red, you know, with blonde hair. Like, they had blonde hair painted red. And uh, Lolly got insulted, you know, and he, he said, uh, fuck this, you know. And, and uh, they did go to the hotel and... Uh, but the next morning, I got up to go to breakfast, and uh, these two girls, the ones with the bodies painted red, walked out of the elevator, and their paint, red paint was smeared all over the place. And then I see Lolly and, and Tony walk out, and they got the red paint all over their faces and bodies. <laughs> <laughs> so we know what happened there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the best. Yes. Um, I know the trip. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, I mean, so tell me, I don't always go back to the beginning, but you guys' story is so unique. I mean, I don't know. Did you grow up, like, on a reservation or in a... I, I, grew, up, I, I grew up a few miles from the reservation. See, my, my folks are originally from the Tohono tribe uh, in Arizona. That's the largest uh, reservation in the world. And my dad's from there. My dad was born there, you know, so he's Tohono, and my mom is uh, from Texas, right? Okay. So, so uh, I've, I've tried to come communicate with the Tohono tribe to let them know that my dad was was a, was a member, was a part of the resident, part of the tribe, and, and and they just keep ignoring me, you know. Really? 
Yeah, that's a haunted track of Arizona. It's weird, yeah. isn't it? It's unbelievable, you know. After all yeah. I've done, you know, in the name of uh, our Native American brothers and sisters, you know, that they would honor me, you know, that honor the, the fact that I'm trying to be registered as part of the tribe because my dad was. Absolutely. You know? And I've got all really? the paperwork, and I've got all the paperwork, my dad's name on there, his brothers, and it's just really unbelievable. That's too bad. It seems yeah. to be that way. So yeah, no, what is, I mean, are the, are the challenges of growing up in an Indian family, a Native American yeah. family, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, everybody, every kid who grows up wanting to be a rock star has to face the challenges of, you know, parents that are skeptical and maybe a culture. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they grew up religious. Maybe yeah. they grew up out in the boonies where there's no ties to the to show business. Yeah. What were some of the unique challenges you faced as a Native well, American in that situation? Well, well what happened was that, my, we had a lot of friends that uh, that were musicians, you know, when we were younger. And uh, and we were kids, and we used to listen to them. My grandfather was a member of a very famous uh, musical family in Mexico, on my mother's side. And uh, her name was Lula Beltran. You know who that is? No, I don't think so. Anyway, she was like the number one female artist in Mexico. Uh, she sang Pancheras and stuff like that. Anyway, oh, nice. anyway my... Uh, my uh, Grandfather, it's her brother, and he played guitar with her. And oh. uh, she and Lola just made an album with Linda Ronstadt. You know that album that was yeah. collaborated with this female singer from Mexico. Yes, that's right. That's, that's her. That's my grandpa's oh. sister. So it kind of like runs in the family, the music. And uh, my grandpa one day, I was living with my grandpa at the time, had a guitar that was sitting on top of a dresser, like about six feet tall. You know, right? And I was a little kid. He said, "Son, when you can reach that guitar." And bring it down, he said, it's yours. So I stood on a chair and took it. And that's what, that's what sparked it all. I started it all right there. No way. I started so playing guitar like... and, and my grandpa showed me a few chords and a few licks and stuff and that's how it started. Then I got into a contest called Talents Real USA. You ever hear that? Sponsored no. by Coca-Cola. It well, was like I read a, about it when I read your bio, yeah. Yeah, it, it was like this thing that, uh, that, uh, it's like they're, you know, these shows that they have now, these talent contests, right? Yeah. Yeah, anyway, so I, I joined, I won it, and I won. I put it together. Oh. I put together uh, three pieces, three, a keyboard, piano, and drums. Uh, wow. And uh, we won it, so that started the whole momentum right there. That's it. So it sounds like you came from a creative family, so family members were probably supportive of you being musical, and picking up no, no, my dad no? said go out. No, my dad said go out and get a real job. Really? What did he want you to do? <laughs> he wanted me to to work and you know just do anything but but music, you know. Yeah. But uh, I just so so we started and rehearse and play music, you know, and uh, and uh, finally uh, one day he accepted it and he said, "Unbelievable! You make more money than I make." In a year, in one show. <laughs> it's true. That's how it works. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And, and, yeah. and that's when he said, yeah, I approve, man. Yeah. Good, good. Now, when you guys were, I mean, you're, you know, you're completely either Native American or Latin American rock band. Mm-hmm. I personally hear a, lo- a big Motown influence. It's almost Oh, as if, absolutely. Right. Lally. It's almost as if Motown happened on the reservation, and that's what Redbone is. That's right. Exactly. So those are my bass lines, and you know, that's the bass lines that I kind of like had to create my own bass line because of all unique guitar work, right? Yeah. And we, we could never find. See, I, was, I started out as a guitar player, but we couldn't find a bass player that could play along with Lolly and the way he played. He played like a keyboard, you know, like mm-hmm. like four strings at the same time, you know, stuff like that. And uh, and, uh, and he played chords and and, and finger picked, you know, saying. With, with his solid fingers, and so it couldn't find anybody to keep up. So I had to switch from guitar to bass, and because uh, I knew the style, and uh, that's how we got started. So I just kept with bass. Yeah. Wow. Now, were you ever, um, you know, when you're starting, when you're first trying to start out, you guys are this bunch of guys that are, don't look like every other rock band out there. Yeah. Are record labels coming to you wanting you to change your style, or are they thinking? This is different and unique. We can work with this. We can kind of market this differently. Well, that Are you was ever a vi- encouraged to change? That was a vision that we had, you know, from the very beginning. We, you know, we knew we wanted to go back to our roots eventually, but how to approach it, we hadn't really clicked into it yet. 
So what happened was we were working nightclubs. We were probably the number one nightclub group in, in all of L.A. At one time. Oh. We were working at Gazari's on the Strip. And uh, we had been there. We were there for four years. You know, no one's been that long in, on the Strip. Anyway, Johnny, Johnny Rivers was at the Whiskey. We were at Gazari's. And uh, the doors were at, uh, was, was, was at another club. And we were all spread out. But we owned the Strip at one time. We really had it locked down, you know, musically. Because I played with groups like uh, the Rooters. Remember the Rooters? Yeah. They had a they had a song going pow 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 pow. pow, pow. Let's go. Remember that? Yeah, sure. Lolly and I were the traveling group for the Rooters. No way. Yeah, and we also worked as the Marquettes, you know, uh, Surface Stomp, you know that record. Sure. Yeah. And 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 yeah, so we did a lot of that kind of stuff, you know, studio work. We did mostly backup for the artists. We must have cut a thousand tracks for a thousand different artists who never quite, never really uh, knew who the artist was or who the song was, you know. <laughs> we just cut the tracks. We just did tracks, you know. And, uh, yeah. For American Recording Studios. Richie Potter, and, uh, who uh, later on uh, recorded uh, Three Dog Night and uh, sure. Steppenwolf. And, but we were doing all this tracking, so, you know, we don't know how many of those tracks they used art, but we did a lot of that, you know. Yeah, That's how we survived. Yeah. So, you know, you guys worked with a lot of people back then, and I want to ask you about some of those collaborations. But one in particular that sticks out to me is Aretha Franklin doing your version of Nicky Hokey. Well, you know, uh, it was incredible. You know, Bobby Womack. You know who that is? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, he's the guitar player. He did all his all the all of the Rita's uh, guitar work on all the records and stuff. Anyway, I used to do a lot of little record sessions around town, so did Lolly. And one of the guitar players he used to use was Bobby Womack. And Bobby and I became real good friends, and we talked, and we sit and laugh and tell jokes and stuff, and 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 we just started jamming together, you know. And because oh, wow. uh, he, he was also a uh, backup guitarist with Sam Cooke. Oh, you know Sam Cooke is I love Sam Cooke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, he was his guitar player. So one night we were working at the Galaxy. Bobby Wellmack walks in and uh, with, with Sam, right, Sam? And, and who happens to be there but the do- uh, but the Mick Jagger and the Stones. Oh. <laughs> they were there, oh. right? They, 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 they were there that night at the club. Listening to us, and and then and they, so at two o'clock in the morning we closed the doors, and the doors, I mean, and 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 the, uh, the Stones and, and Mick Jagger and all the guys, and uh, Sam Cooke and Bobby Womack and myself and Lolly, we all got up on stage and played till five o'clock the next morning. Whoa! Oh yeah, we jammed all night, and that's Whoa. why I said that's why I always say that uh, Bill Wyman stayed in the house that night. He spent the night, and we really? played bass. Yeah, and we played bass together, and he showed me some licks. I showed him some licks. I showed him, and he said, I like your style, he said to me. And I said, yeah, you mean that's something that one knows? And he said, yeah, I like that. And and I've heard it influence a lot of his records. Interesting, man. Yeah, I mean, you guys were in the thick of it during, like, the height of 
the first sort of generation of rock, not generation, but like the first peak, I guess, of rock and roll. That's right. That's right. We were right in the middle of it. Yeah, we were right in the middle of it. Yeah. The birds, the birds, the the birds, I was recording at a place, uh, I was recording with a group called uh, the Rose Garden. Remember them? They had this next plane to London. Oh, sure. I was producing their first records and, and, uh, I was in the studio and, uh, this guy comes running in and says, I got this new record I just cut and I want you guys to hear it and tell me what you think. So he said, share me. So we took a minute from the session and he played it and it was the, it was the, uh, the bird singing, uh, uh, tambourine man. Oh. And I said, yeah, that's the one and that's the single right there. No way. Yeah. Oh, wow. I've been involved in so many situations like that that it's just mind boggling to I me. I believe it. Tell me about <laughs> Sam Cook. I love him. Ah, uh, Sam was beautiful, man. He was beautiful. He had a great voice and he sang beautiful. He loved Lolly and I. He loved to jam with us, you know. Wow. And he loved to play with us. He loved the way we backed him up, you know. He wanted yeah. us to go on the road with him, but we never did. We huh. were too busy on our own thing. Were you, uh, was there a lot of uh, passing of the peace pipe with these people? You know what oh, I mean? Ab- absolutely. You I can, believe you it. Believe that. <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling, yeah. Believe that, man. We had a great time. Everybody, we had any top recording artists in the world come into the clubs where we played, following us and, and, and being in the audience and sitting in with us. You oh, know, yeah. all, the, all the big men, you name you the act and they were there. Yeah. Didn't you work, do something with Elvis? Absolutely. When Elvis used to sneak into the club and sit in the back, way in the back with his friend, Red and guys. And, and, and check out the sets and stuff. And, and here's one of his favorite songs he wanted to hear was Mickey Hokey. He had, that, he, he had that on his jukebox <laughs> at home. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. And, yeah. I played on the album Kissing Cousins. You know the album? Sure. I was, yeah. Well, I, well, Red West, who produced it, called me up one day, and it was me on bass, Johnny Rivers on guitar, uh, James Burton on guitar, and, and, and all the Elvis band members uh, who cut that album, like that whole soundtrack. No way. Yeah. That is crazy. Wow. What about Little Richard? Oh, Little Richard. Crazy kind of in real life as he is on He was one of my favorite people here, man. He's just beautiful, wonderful man. Anyway, one day we brought him to dinner. He says, uh, I said, you got to come here and get some home cooking, right? And he said, sure, I'd love to. So I brought him home one day, right? Uh And and I opened the door and my mom yells, oh my God, it's Little Windshield. Little windshield. <laughs> it was Little Richard, not Little Windshield, ma. <laughs> and he, and he had, and he, he couldn't stop laughing. He, he, that's, that's what he always said. Uh, it, it's windshield. <laughs> when he'd call up, you know. yeah. Yeah, Richard, Richard was a good friend of mine. Good. Good friend of ours, yeah. What about, uh, what about James Brown? James Brown was incredible, man. He's another great guy that I met in, in my, in the, on the road, you know. Uh, one day we were working at a place called Shiro's on, on the strip. Shiro's, you know what that is? Uh-oh. It was a big, big famous nightclub, Shiro's. Oh, uh, sure, sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's now it's not called a comedy store. Yeah. But anyway, anyway, we were playing there that night, and uh, and uh, who's the guy that invented the, the number one disc jockey that, that started named uh, it rock Alan and roll? Freed. Alan, Alan Freed was sitting in the audience when we played that night. And and he he says uh, the owner of the club he says I want to meet those two guys. 
he said he wanted to meet Lolly and I. And so we went and sat with him and he talked to us about music and he said, you guys have something, man. He says, I can't put my finger on it, but I'll tell you, you guys have something magical. And, and, and we thanked him and we sat. That was Alan Freed, man. You know, I was blown away. Crazy. He's got a name that rock and roll and he said yeah. that to us. And I said, Lolly, you ready for the, what he said, the compliment he paid us? He said, we had something unique and it, we were going to happen. He said, you guys are going to happen, you know. Yeah. Anyway, so, so, so that, that same night, we got a call from, uh, from uh, this other club down the street, the Cloister, that James Brown was appearing there, but his band didn't show up, right? Uh, his band got stuck somewhere in snow, uh, a bus, you know. So yeah. he needed a band, a band to do his first show. So Lolly and I went down there and we bagged James Brown and did his first show, you know, because we knew all the hits, you know. Yeah. And uh, and we backed him up for a show and, and, and he, he James thrilled him. He was happy and... Uh, that it went on, 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 you know, no mistakes, everything was perfect, you know. Yeah. And, uh, he thanked us a lot, and, uh, so, so that, that happened then. So he knew us then. So one day we're playing at a place called the Red Velvet in Hollywood. It was a very famous nightclub where everybody went, all the stars hung out there. And uh, anyway, and, uh, James happened to be in the audience to see us that night, right? Yeah. And he heard, he heard me play a song that I wrote called, uh, Crazy Cajun Kickwalk Band. Down Louisiana, close to Mobile, Alabama, lies a swampland territory. You can hear the bullfrog run to the bog. I got to pull you under my roof. Saturday night, I've been feeling all right. I'm headed toward the Snake Road. some honey gonna get it on all night digging that crazy cajun cakewalk band crazy cajun cakewalk band rhythm is as heavy as a ton of lead red bone baby's gonna do your And, and he told us, he's a producer, I love that arrangement, and I love that arrangement. He says, to see if I, I, we can borrow that arrangement for my next single. And, uh, and uh, so, so Robbie Robertson, the producer, came over to, my, to the stage and said, Pat, I want to talk to you. I said, okay. So uh, we, he said, listen, James wants to use that track for his next single. He'll give you 100 hours, free studio time in the studio and all this and all that. And he says, and he says if you can use it. He says, is it possible? And I looked over at James and I said, I pointed to him and he raised his hand and said, stood up and said, yes. So then I said, all right, that sounds good. So the next record, so the next single that came out was Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud. And that's yeah. my arrangement. <laughs> no way! Swear to God. Wow! That's my arrangement, my whole, all, all, the, all the horn parts, everything. He, got, he wrote it, he wrote it out, you know, Gerard yeah. Robinson. Wrote it out, the whole arrangement. So I had to play it three times till we got it. That is crazy. Yeah, man, my whole life was like that. You guys were right there. You mentioned yeah. the doors earlier. Tell me about Jim Morrison. You know, uh, one thing I've always thought about Jim Morrison, I can't, I can't picture him like sober or normal. You know what I mean? I feel no, like no. Any, his entire popularity, he was on something. Did you ever Wait. see him just be a regular guy? Yes, yes, I have. Yes, I did, because he used to come over to my house at 3 in the morning to hang out with me for a couple hours before he went into the studio to record. He wanted to touch base with me because uh, I had, I originally hired him at Desari's when he was expecting the audition. They played acid rock, some real low, uh, downer, downer kind of music, and I said, and I said, no, I cut him off and said, no, no, no. And I called him down and I talked to him and Robbie, and I said, no, that's not the kind of music that this club's about. You got to play rock. You got to play music that people can dance to, man. You got to put some feeling, some time and rhythm into it. He said, uh, I said, sit down and listen to what we're going to do on our next set. Because I liked him. I said, come on, we're, we're working out another audition. So we played our set, you know. 
And we used to do all kind of stuff, like to do some Latin stuff in there, like "Habiene loco, le dicen el loco," you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and, and with with that Latin feel, Latin feel. So the next week, he came back to audition, and they came got up on stage, and they played the same chords to, to "Habiene loco" to uh, uh, to "Come on, baby, light my fire." Oh wow! Yeah, oh, same chords, wow. same fucking wow. chords. Yeah. <laughs> When you look back at stuff like this, like the James Brown story and that, do you ever feel, I mean, are you proud that you contributed to these people's, you know, Absolutely, hit, absolutely. Or do you feel kind of gypped ever? No, no, I don't feel gypped. I, I feel honored to have at least been a part of it, you know. Yeah. No, no, I, it wasn't, for me and Lolly, it wasn't about the money. Yeah. And we, we played because we loved it, and we loved to play, and we loved music, you know, and we loved meeting all these talented people. We, it wasn't about the money. Yeah. Even though later on we started making serious money, but you know we didn't. It wasn't about the money. Okay, okay. It was about the music. Yeah. What about Jimi Hendrix? I know he was part Cherokee. Did you oh yeah. Him? Of course, we were on stage together at, at his place that he used to be part owner of. Uh, Lay, Lay, uh, uh, what was it called? Electric Lady. Yeah, yeah. The club on Sunset, right on Sunset, and we used to go there. Oh, okay. And we used to go there and sit in. You know, Tony and I and Molly we used to sit in. One day, Jimmy walked in and saw us on stage, and he jumped up on stage and played with us. And he loved us. He wanted to come with us. He said, I want to join your group, man. He says, I want to, I want to be part of Redbone. And, and he, he told everybody, he told the label, and the label said, if you, if you, if you drop what you're doing and you go with Redbone, we're going to sue you and you'll never play again because we've got your contract and, you know, are they threatening him and everything there? But Jimmy wanted to be with Redbone. He wanted us, wanted to be with us. That is nuts. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Who who would you, I mean, it sounds like you were pretty chummy or friendly with a lot of these people yes. back in the day. Were there, who was like you know, one of your really close friends? Was there somebody we would know where you would like, you know, do you still exchange Christmas cards with somebody? Or, you know, who did, who did you, who were you closest to? All of them. Really? Yeah, they used to come and pick me up in their cars and take me out to parties and stuff. And I was close with all of them. Yeah. Richie, Richard, little Richard would, would make, make sure that I was at his next party, you know. Uh, yeah. Everybody, you know. James okay. Brown would call and want to say, when you come to the studio, stuff like that. I was close with everybody. Oh. You know, three, that... dog, three Dog Nights, well, I put together, I put together Three Dog Nights right here in L.A. You put Chuck, them together? Yes. Chuck McLean was sleeping at my house. And my apartment was me and my girlfriend, because his girlfriend was my girlfriend's best friend. And he slept in my car on my couch for about a year. And, and uh, he used to sing and I used to play guitar. And one day uh, I ran into uh, uh, Danny Hutton, the other okay. singer. Uh, he was working for uh, uh, Hanna-Barbera, you know, as a... Yeah, like a, like a, like a, yeah she was a runner. And I, and I worked with Hanna-Barbera at the time. I was writing commercials. I wrote a song for the Munsters and for... Uh, and for uh, for a lot of different acts, a lot of different oh, cartoons. Wow. I wrote music for them, and and uh, and I put Danny together with Chuck, and then Chuck found Corey Wells, and then my, and then the bass player put them together, and I put them together, and I called them the, the Camelots. That's the name I had for them. Then I put Ooh. them together with Richie Potter, and he called them Three Dog Night. No way. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I never wow. asked for anything. I never asked for anything. I just well, did you're it because, just right there. You're like a blue guy. That's just, you know, I, I did it for the love of music, you know. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. What about the Beach Boys? Did you ever interact with the Beach Boys? He, absolutely. I was a good friend with uh, with uh, uh, Dennis. Really? You were friends yes. with Dennis? Very good friend with Dennis. I mean, we were close friends. He used to come hang out with us at Gazaris, and he'd get up on drums and play drums. And, and then with me and Mike, you know, Mike Kowalski that was on drums with me for... Since the haunted house, he was with me for five years. He oh. became he became uh, Dennis's replacement for thirty five years to play with the Beach Boys. Yeah, Michael oh, Wolski. Yeah. He was my drummer. I started in the business. He could only play two two beats. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great! But he that? learned. But but he learned fast, and he was a great guy. I love Michael. Yeah. I'm trying to think of other bands that, you know, it sounds like you hung out with mostly Americans. Did you ever hang out with, like, the Doobie Brothers? Did you know them back Oh, of course I knew the Doobies. We, we did tours together. Did you really? 
Yeah, in Boston, for example, in Boston, uh, we did a show with the Dooley Brothers, uh, 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 Steely Dan, yeah. and the Almond Brothers, all on one show. Oh, way. And we headlined the show, and it was... So that night, the night before the gig, uh, two members of, uh, of Almond Brothers, two members of Redbone, and, uh, and two members of Steely Dan uh, got arrested for smoking pot in, in the hotel room. And... Uh, and, and so uh, our manager went down there and got him off, and they just tore the paperwork up and let us go back to court. That is insane. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we've wow. got history. It sounds like it. Now, in, the, in L.A. at that time, I'm imagining uh, the music industry, as far socially anyway, the, your music buddies are sort of interacting with Hollywood as well. Are you hanging out with... Jack Nicholson or going to parties at uh, No, they were no no they hung out at the club. They, Jack Nicholson, Paul Newman, uh, uh you name them. They were all Robert Montgomery, they were all hanging out at the Sorry Center. They hung out. Really? And I used to go to all the parties, I've been invited to all the parties, Glenn Ford, you know, all those parties. I heard uh I heard Glenn Ford was a big drinker and I've heard Jack Nicholson can party like none of it. Is that no, I, I I know I, I don't know, I won't say anything about the personal okay. life but but they were nice guys. They were great people, man. Nice people to know. Good, good. It was. I mean, I was honored to meet them. I mean, you know, it was a pleasure. Good. And I don't. I don't know anything about their personal okay. life. Okay, okay. Just curious. Just mm-hmm. curious what it's like when you get, you know, behind someone's door and you're in their house hanging out. Did you yeah. The monkeys. The guys. From oh the yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. They used to come. Mickey Dolan used to come and sit in on drums, all the time. Please. Mickey Dolan and all of the guys from the monkeys are. Uh, who are the guys again? What are the names again? Mike Nesmith. Uh, yeah, Mike, Mike, see, Mike Nesmith, Mike Nesmith lived next door to the house where we started rehearsing. Redbone started really to get together. And Mike used to come and sit down and kneel, the guy Nielsen used to sit there and other, other artists used to sit and, on the floor and smoke our weed and, and, and we'd, and we'd, uh, rehearse for, for half days at a time. And yeah. they'd be sitting around having a drink, you know, and, and hanging out, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. That just sounds so cool. What about, um, I'm sorry, if I, I just keep throwing names at you because you keep having all these great stories. Oh, man. Okay. Oh, yeah. Um, tell me, what about, like, Janis Joplin? Oh, Janis, we were, we were rehearsing at a place called uh, Studio Instrument Rentals in Hollywood, okay. SIR. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I drove up to one night to, to, to rehearse, and I parked my car, and I saw a, a, a Porsche parked outside the studio, uh, the convertible porch, with all kind of writing on it and stuff, you know. So I walked into the studio and, and uh, to my rehearsal room, and uh, they, they were playing music, and, and on drums was Janis Joplin. So, uh... She was playing, she was playing drums. <laughs> that is wild. I just looked and said, okay. <laughs> wow. Um, what about, like, I, uh, I can Tina? Did you ever come across Tina Turner? You worked oh, yeah. with her, didn't you? Or played oh, yeah. on the record? Oh yeah, yeah. We did. We, we did a lot of things with uh, with uh, Ike and, and and Tina. Yeah, I used to have dinner with them all the time. Oh. Yeah, I mean, I'd be invited to dinner and stuff, and we used to jam on the piano and guitar and bass. It was fun. I mean, Tina's a wonderful lady, beautiful lady. Really? Yeah, oh, yeah, just awesome. And, and Ike was a great, very talented guitar player. He was. Did you, um, you know, I, I mean, I keep throwing these names at you. Were you involved at all in British bands? Did you know, like, David Bowie or Steve Winwood? Or no, I, I, knew, I, knew, I, knew, I knew Bill Wyman of the Doors and the, okay. the Doors mostly. I mean, I'm not the Doors. I mean, uh, the... Uh, oh, the Rolling Stones. The Rolling Stones. I was hooked up with them real well. Okay. I was real good friends with them. And Bill Wyman and I used to stay in touch all the time. Yeah. You know? And uh, uh, the, also a group in Canada, what was it called? Uh, the Guess Who? Yeah, the Guess Who. Yeah. Yeah, good friends. Good. Oh, my gosh, that's crazy. So, yeah. I mean, let's talk about some of the hits. I mean, when you – I'm curious if a le- record label I, – I can't remember if we, we didn't really touch on this too much earlier, but did a record label ever think to say to you, like, we're going to have a hard time – kind of marketing this Native American group to the rest of America, or were they supportive of this vision of yours? They were supportive of the vision. They were definitely supportive. Uh, 
the first one, the first guy that ever came into the studio, to, I mean, came into the club to record us. See, they used to say that we were just a club act and that you know, we yeah. couldn't do anything in, in the record business. That's when I got pissed off and I said, all right. So we stopped playing clubs and we went into this house and, uh, uh, that was put up by a friend of mine, John Kavak, and he put it up. Uh, and uh, we started rehearsing there. We had free run of the whole house. I mean, this was up in Beverly Hills, you know. So we, so we started rehearsing, 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 rehearsing. And, uh, and, uh, changed the name of the group. We, we were called all kinds of different names. When it came time to, to sign the contract at CBS, she was Larry Cohen that came to saw us. Okay. Him and, him and, and Paul Lagos, a friend of ours, a drummer, brilliant drummer, came to see us at the house and, and he said, I went to my office tomorrow in the morning at nine. So we were there and uh, they signed stuff and, and we all stood around and said, okay, what's the name of the group? Uh, and she had her fingers on the typewriter, right? To fill uh-huh. a, a contact then. Everybody got a, tra- a shot. Said, whoever signs, puts the name, it's their name and they own it. And we all agreed. Okay, fine. So Lala came up with the name. Uh, Tony came up with the name. Peter came up with the name. And I came up with Redbone. And then she said, that's it. And I said, hey, hey, what's the definition? I told her that he was part Native American. Uh-huh. And she said, that's the name. And that's that's the one that stuck with us. Oh, well, uh, wow. Yeah. What was and you know, what was and you know, and you know, oh, and you know, and, and I'm looking at a shield. On my wall is a shield from uh, nine, from the eight seventeen hundreds, sixteen hundreds, uh, before Jesus was born, right? Wow. And it's got two red bones on it. Really? Yeah, I'm looking at this, the, this, the uh, shield, and, and it's uh, and it's from before uh, the fifteen, fifteen, fourteen hundreds, and I got it what? on my wall because there's two bones crossed. And that's where the inspiration for the name came from. And the, and the, and the, and it's two red bones. You can actually you can see it. Wow. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah, I know, so, so, so my name so much. So, so red bone goes goes back to the beginning of before Christ. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's <is> true. <laughs> so what was what was some of, what was like the first big kind of success you were seeing? Was it the song Maggie? No, the first time no. when you were like, wow, we're, we're starting to get there. It was the Witch Queen of New Orleans. Was it? Okay. It was number one on every European chart in, in Europe. It was number one. And then it came to the U.S. and became number one here. So it was Witch Queen of New Orleans. Okay. Okay. That was the one That's that did it. Yeah. yeah. Were you, um, was there ever, you know, we talked about not really ever receiving any pushback from a label on your style. Was there ever any pushback? Musically, when you would when you were presenting to them songs like Chant, Thirteenth Hour, yeah. or Wazoka. In the moon of the fallen leaf, appeared one day. He had come from the land of spirits with a message of prophecy. The flood. 
saying like uh, one thing to look like Indians is another thing to kind of put Indian you know influences into the music or were they fine with that too no they were fine with that they just wanted us to do more commercial uh, have more commercial hits yeah they wanted, you know, they wanted us to do a little music some of music that was a little more commercial okay. you know you know radio friendly you know what I'm saying yeah yeah so so, so we, we 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 did some of that but we also kept our roots we didn't we didn't uh, give up our I, I, Good. First, first, you know, yeah. first love. You know, I, um, you I know, because hear... Native Americans are, are a part of this whole world, this whole country, and and very important part of its creation, you know. Yeah. And uh, from the very beginning, and the roots of America is Native American. I mean, yeah. And, and uh, so it, it was so downplayed and so hidden. Yeah. We were America's best kept secret, you know. Still is. And, uh, so, so, so we, we, I, I knew that and I wanted to break that out. I wanted to get rid of that image. And, yeah. and so that's why we went to rock, I mean, and rock and roll and, cause that was my love and, 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 yeah. and, 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 and I, I could have gone up there in jeans and a t-shirt like everybody else. But no, I wanted to go up there and, 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 and promote that we also, yeah. you know, come out of hiding, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, why do you think there have not been more bands kind of following in your footsteps? Well, I don't know of any other Native American pop rock bands. I know yeah. of some Latin American, like Los well, Lobos or something like that. Well, there you are. See, this America's best kept secret, you know. Yeah. You know, how we got in was, was, was tricky, you know. It was like one of those things just went by them. They didn't see it coming, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So now, now, so now, uh, there's a lot of talented uh, Native American brothers and sisters out there. It's great yeah. artists that they get great talent, great shows, and but, but they're not given being given the attention of the breaks, you know. Yeah. You know, they're, 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 they're in America. They're still playing all English rock. If you know yeah. what I'm saying. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of American artists that aren't getting a fair play because of the uh, the European acts, Stones, or all these European acts. Uh, kind of dominating the radio waves, and right. these guys got to get off that jet, you know, and, and stop playing them. Uh, I'm United States American acts, you know. Yeah, yeah. Especially, especially native acts, you know. Yeah. Give them a break, man. What's the matter with you? you know? yeah, true. I think too. I think you guys was first of all, you were all great musicians, and you yeah. were incredible pop songwriters. I think it's a song like One More Time. Anybody could have made a great hit out of that, and you That's guys right. brought your talent because if you know, whenever I hear a song, whenever I hear "Come and Get Your Love," mm. that song to me, I feel like that was a song that had to have just been floating in space, waiting for someone to pluck 
down. <laughs> because, you know, the call and the response, the, the, the melody, all of it is so elemental, so like, yeah. Obvi- yeah. Obvi- I don't mean obvious in a bad way. Ob- I mean obvious, like, this is what a perfect pop song sounds like. That's all nice. those people who write pop songs, how could they not have thought of this? And it then, took and you then, guys to do that. That's right. Because it, it was waiting for us. It was a gift from the gods, you know, a gift. Exactly. It was a gift from the gods, and, and I appreciate it, and, and, and I, I respect that, and I stand by it, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, built it, yeah. I built it. When I produced it, I built it all around the bass line. You did? As a yeah. bass player, no kidding, right? You want yeah, to showcase solid. yourself a little bit, right? No, 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 that wasn't the reason. The reason why is because of, uh, it was magical, that bass line that I worked out uh, had a pattern. It was a pattern that mm. that, 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 that went in and out, and, you know, it's like making love, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you hear that, when I hear songs like that, I think of, I honestly do think of things like Motown. It doesn't sound that different to me than something that the Funk Brothers would have come that's, up with in Detroit. That's, you, know? you know, yeah, that's funny because um, it, it broke out of a black station in Philadelphia. Really? And yeah, yeah I, I, the black station, number one in Philadelphia, broke the record because we were black. And then they, they did this, they had set up this big concert and, uh, with all these Funkadelics and they uh, and uh, and uh, all these different acts and, and Redbone. So oh. when we walked out in, on stage, the people gasped. All two black audience gasped and went, oh. they couldn't uh-huh. believe what they were looking at. And we went out there. We went into this town. We had them dancing in the aisles. That's amazing. Good for you. Yeah. They so how it. come how come it all ended? I mean, it, it, you know, by the by the late seventies. You guys are still putting out um, yeah. albums like Cycles. Bill, These are good Bill, albums, but it's just Bill, 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 Bill Graham blackballed us. He did? He, he, Why? Was, he, was, he was the reason they, that their career came to a halt. Because uh, oh. we, we had a concert booked uh, at the Fillmore, the headline of the Fillmore, right? Yeah. And it had it headlined, and we were ready, and, uh, and, uh, and so we were all prepared for it. We had heard for days. And then and Lolly went out that night before and got in a fight and broke his right hand. In oh. fight. So, so rather than Lolly telling me what had happened and telling one of the guys in the band so that we could have replaced him and got another guitar player and done the show, he, he failed to tell us and, and, and uh, Bill never got words and we just didn't show. Oh. And, and there's nothing I could say to Bill that would make it better because Lolly fucked up. Oh no. Yeah, he fucked up. He didn't say anything to me. And so Tony and I and, and Peter we jumped all over him and we, he was so mad at him. I didn't talk to him for two months really? because of, because he didn't say anything to us. So, Bla- so Bill Graham getting upset that you guys didn't Blake, know. Bill, Bill Graham blackballed us at that point. Oh, our career man. went kaput. Really? So what did and you for, do and for ten And for 10 years, and for 10 years, you never heard about Red Room because Bill Graham didn't yeah. want it. Yeah. And we know and we know what happened to Bill Graham, huh? Oh, yeah. yeah. Bad luck. Yeah. Bad luck. Yeah. So, so, the, so I think I think I think the gods upstairs were pissed off. Any black bombers. <laughs> you don't stop red bones. No, no, I think they no, no, I think they they were pissed off. Yeah. So when it ends then in the seventies and not only that, years. not only that, not only that, but it was Lolly's fault and he that Bill Graham died with the guitar player. What's his name? Stevie uh, Ray Vaughan. Yeah, Stevie Ray Vaughan. So so somebody was upstairs was saying something. Oh man, yeah, that's crazy. So now, what did you now, do? I'm not saying you, that. I don't, I don't. I don't mean that it was intentional. That the no, I, I feel. I feel bad that we lost a great guitar player like him, and, and I'm sorry that happened to Bill. And, and it's just a terrible thing. But yeah. it's it's, but it's a bad thing. You know, it's just yeah. one of those things. Farmer. Anyway, so we were blackballed for ten years. So what did you do? Did you ever have to go get a different job? Or no, you, I, I kept no, I kept writing music for other artists. I kept producing okay. other artists, writing. I kept writing for other artists, and, and I kept studio doing studio work and stuff like that. And we picked up a few jobs here and there that Tony and I and and, oh. and, and we just kept building fans, you know. And, and, and now we have a following that's incredible. That is amazing. Yeah, um, so I just kept playing. I just survived. Barely survived, okay. you know. Yeah. Um, did the money ever get really tight? I mean, you weren't really very, very. To... Of course, you did. Of course, you yeah. did. Yeah, it got tight, you know, and uh, everybody had to borrow from somebody, you know, and it was, yeah. it was 
If it wasn't for my ex-wife, I probably never would have made it. That's wild, too. Yeah. So, uh, now, you know, so every other rock band in history that has brothers, the Kinks, Oasis, whoever, they don't get along. How has, how did you and Lolly manage to make it work? Uh, we hated each other. No, I'm really? just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, yeah. we got along great. We were great brothers, you know. We, we helped each other. And we kept, you know, carried ourselves through this, yeah. this crisis, you know. But, Never, but that, uh, that, that, that Bill Graham's incident was, uh, was what really stopped Red Bull dead in its tracks. And for all those years, that's why you never heard of us. But, so uh, things have changed since then. This might be too personal, but did you ever have any, like, famous girlfriends? You know? You, oh, you were... I've had, I've had a few famous girlfriends, yeah. Really? Can you tell us, yeah. honey? I had this one whose head used to spin around. Uh, whenever she got mad at me, her name was Linda Blair. Did you date Linda Blair? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You did? <laughs> For a couple of years, yeah. Oh, that's wild. Oh, man, I knew it. And Bobby Gentry. You dated Bobby Gentry? Yes. Where is Bobby Gentry? I, I produced her in the first hit record, Old Billy Joe. Well, I, you produced that? I was the one who took her in the studio, and I, I still own five songs written by her. the album all the Billy Joe, you see only one name other than hers, and that's Pat Vegas. No way. Oh, wow. Yeah. Where is she? Where did she go? Uh, she's living in Vegas, uh, probably very successful, very rich. Okay. I don't. I really don't know. Uh, I've always wanted to interview her for this show, too, and uh, she just doesn't great. want to be found, you know? She's great. Good. Wow, you dated Bobby Gentry. And also, also Stevie Nicks is my, is my comadre. She's my daughter's godmother. Stevie Nicks is your daughter's godmother? Yes. <laughs> yeah, so she's my comadre. She's like my, my, my cousin. Yeah. So you didn't date Stevie Nicks? No, no, no. We're just good friends. Good friends. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That yeah. is crazy. Did you ever come across, um, you know, you mentioned Dennis Wilson earlier. It made me think of Charles Manson. Did you know that? Or no, that? hell no. Uh -uh. Thank God Something he like never that. fucked my, my pastor. I would have kicked his ass. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> no kidding. What about Phil Spector? He was another weirdo. Oh, yeah, Phil Spector was, was definitely the person that I knew. See, the Ratchet Brothers recorded a song in, in their album because they used to sleep in my house, the Ratchet Brothers. Bob uh -huh. and Bill were good friends of mine. Those were real good friends of mine. And they recorded a song that I own in my publishing company called Look At Me. Recorded originally by Dobie Dre.
I love Dobie Gray. Sure. And that, that, that song is in, in their first album, You've Lost That Love and Feeling. They did it for me. No way. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Like a, like a way of saying thanks, Pat, you know? Yeah. And I appreciate that. I love those guys. Bobby's really? gone, but, but Bill is still around. Yeah, yeah. Wow, what a life, yeah. man. I, th- I had no idea when I started, when I went, reached out to talk to you that you would be I, this full of stories. I've been real blessed. I'm, 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 I'm really blessed. I've got a long ways to go. Yeah, yeah. How's your yeah. health? You mentioned going to the gym. Health is in, okay? I'm, in, I'm in good shape. No problems. Nothing to complain about. Good. And uh, okay. I, I don't I don't get crazy and drink a lot of bunch of drugs and drink a lot. No, I don't do that. Yeah. Okay. I always say everything in moderation. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I, that, definitely. that's that's what I want all the kids and young people out there to remember. Everything in moderation. Don't make a pity yourself on anything. Because yeah. then it'll, it'll catch up to you. Good. Good. Um, well, man, this was fun. I had no idea. Tell us, tell us your favorite story. Is there a story that you can share, that you're comfortable sharing, that is just the most, you would never believe this happened to me story? Yeah, absolutely. I can, I can, I can think of a couple. Okay. But anyway, this one is, uh, Lolly and I were out in the grape fields picking grapes when we were kids because my grandpa, my grandpa said to Lolly and I, I told my grandpa, we want to be musicians. We want to make music. He says, no, you got to learn how to work like a man first. So he took us both out to these great fields at five in the morning. The sun wasn't even out yet, and, and it was freezing, and, and 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 you couldn't see the end of the road, you know. So so we started picking grapes, and he made it work. Do this all summer to teach us to be men, right? Yeah. Work like a man. So one day, Lolly's picking around, and and he finds this beehive, uh, these wasps, a uh, big, huge, big wasp nest, right? And I said, leave him alone, don't touch him. And I started running because I knew he was going to. So he reached in there to cut it down, and they all came chasing him. And all you saw was a dust of smoke with Lolly running through the field and me running away and and these these thousand bees chasing us down the road. I was no crazy. Yeah. No way. And they stung us both uh, several times. Really? Oh, yeah. Wow. I told him yeah. not to touch him. I told him not to mess with him. So he went ahead and did it. There you have it. Pat Vegas. Wasn't that fun? You just, <laughs> I wish I had been prepared for that kind of a conversation because I would have thought up a million more names. I just, those were what came up off the top of my head. But if I had been able to prepare and throw some other names at him and just hear what he came up with, that would have been so much fun. Anyway, what a nice guy. I want to close it out with another one of their hits. And this is one of those ones that I was talking about that incorporates that Indian sound and vibe. This is We Were All Wounded at Wounded Knee. And this was one of their hits. Such a unique sound, but yet it's grounded in that sort of Motown, traditional, beautiful pop sound. That's how I feel anyway. Uh, Okay, we're kind of done with 70s rock, soft rock, yacht rock here for a while. I'm not entirely sure what I'm going to run next week. I think I recently had the (laughs) the most incredible conversation with a producer One of the best we've ever had. And I know you guys like the producer conversations. I think that's the one I'm going to run next week. So uh, I may change my mind. I don't know for sure, but that's probably what's coming up. So you guys know the deal by now. You can find us on Facebook and like the page. You can send us a message. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. And a huge thanks, as always, to Yan the Man Makevich for putting everything together, okay? Thanks, everybody. We will talk to you next week.
We were all.